Welcome to a special edition of Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. American woman, stay away from me. Exactly 50 years ago today, Christopher, May 9th, 1970, American Woman by the Guess Who went to number one on the American Hot 100 chart, a first for a Canadian rock band. Oh, I love that riff. Oh, so good. Well, in the last few days, um, we've had the opportunity to speak to Randy Bachman and Burton Cummings about that song in incredible detail. You'll find, as you might expect, that their stories match up perfectly in many ways, and then in other ways completely diverge. (laughs) Within a few weeks of the song's release, Randy Bachman left the band, a kind of a big surprise at the time, and he would fight hard to return, not to the band, but to the charts. It would take almost four years for that to happen, and when it did, BTO blew up big. And of course, Burton continued with the Guess Who before embarking on his own very successful solo career. So as you'll hear in the next several minutes, there's a lot of history between Burton and Randy, good and bad. And you can hear the undercurrent of it here, but you will also hear the admiration that they have for each other as players and as songwriters. You'll also hear a moment in which Burton doesn't really like what my partner Tom has to say. (laughs) Was that a little rough patch for you there, Tom, with Burton? Well, we're going to call it another installment of When Rock Stars Attack. Good idea. And it is funny because I started the conversation and, and met the whole question in a very complimentary way. But because Burton has spoken about this and talked to his fans about this on so many different occasions, he literally said to me in the middle of an interview that was going very, very well, I hate this conversation. I just hate it. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's funny. I didn't think that he was really aimed at you. I thought he was just no. being incredibly direct and really honest. And it was like, can we carry on with something else, you know? Yes. And I, I, I admire that and certainly understand why. But we can talk a little bit more about that when the moment comes, okay? Sure. So Tom will also talk to Burton and Randy about other moments, including why the Guess Who did not perform American Woman when they were invited to the White House in 1970 to see Tricky Dick and his wife and family. (laughs) Anyway, why Randy left the group and how, after many years of disagreements, why they decided to reunite. And it feels so good. (laughs) I got it. In this first clip, Tom talks to Burton about how American Woman came to be. So, Burton, let's talk, because we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of American Woman, I'm saying top three Canadian songs of all time, maybe number one. Also, I'd like to point out, rock songs done by a pure Canadian band when there was no Canadian content regulations to support a band. I think what the achievement of American Woman and the Guess Who in general was even more exceptional considering the climate that you guys were in. So let's celebrate American Woman and tell me what you remember from the recording of that song, how that song came to be. Um, For the most part, that whole thing was jammed on stage at a place called the Broom and Stone, which was a curling rink outside Toronto, I think somewhere around Mississauga. And we were doing two shows one night And between shows, I was outside 
kind of bartering with this kid that, to get some old Gene Vincent records off him. <laughs> we were trying to strike up a deal. And I was arguing about this and that and the other thing. And I heard the other three guys start up our second set. And I said to this kid, oh, goodness, man, I'm supposed to be on stage. I got to get in there and get up on stage. So I ran in and the guys, the other three guys, in my absence, had started up a little jam. And Randy had this, Randy had the groove going. He had this great groove going. He didn't want to stop because the guys were grooving at that point. So I just started making stuff up. Right on the spot, stream of consciousness, Bob Dylan moment, you know, whatever comes out of your head, just sing it. And all that stuff was on the spot. War machines, ghetto scenes, colored lights can hypnotize, sparkle someone else's eyes. And as, wow. the, as the legend goes, and I don't, I don't disagree with this, but it's a little blurry now because it is 50 years. It's, it's 51 <laughs> years since the night on stage. But um, apparently there was a kid there bootlegging the show with a cassette machine and cassette machines were a fairly new invention at that time because this would have been 1969 wow and we got the cassette tape and listened to it later and it didn't change very much because i had already come up with those lyrics right on the spot you know so we didn't change very much i didn't sit down and craft all those lyrics and here's the thing Everybody thought it was political. It was not political. We had been touring in the States on the strength of these eyes and laughing and undone and maybe even no time. And I noticed that in the States, the girls seemed to grow up quicker, not grow up quicker, but started to look older at a younger age, meaning that they were dressing a little a little older and, and wearing more makeup at a younger age. And I noticed the difference when we came back to Canada, the girls looked a bit younger or fresher. I don't know how you put it. So what I was thinking when I was making those words up, what I was thinking was, Canadian woman, I prefer you. <laughs> and what came out of my mouth was, American woman, stay away from me. So right. it was never... In my head, it was never political, but when the record was released, the Vietnam War was at a particularly bad point of escalation, and there were a lot of anti-American protesters, um, anti-war protesters in the States. Everybody read their own meaning into it, and because of the turbulence of the times, we had a number one record. That's about as, as detailed a description as I could ever give you. Wow. So much information there from Burton Cummings about how American Woman was created and also how the song was not meant to be political. Well, in a way, it was like the song wasn't meant to be anything. It just came about. It sounds like it had, you know, a kind of an immaculate conception. Um, they were jamming and it all fell into place and Burton threw out those lines and they went, yeah, those are cool. And, this, and it became what it was. There wasn't a lot of sort of critical thinking involved in the creation, I don't think, from, from, at least from what they say. 
Right. Anyway, Randy does see the song as political, very influenced by the times, which is quite understandable. I mean, listen to him tell the story, and notice how his version changes in some minor ways and in some very significant ways from Burton's. Here's Randy. We had been touring the States. Uh, there was a fear of us being drafted. We had green cards. And being drafted then, believe me, was not a nice thing. They just put you in a uniform, sent you to Fort Bragg, and you went to fight in Vietnam. So we came back to Canada. We had some gigs. Uh, got a gig offered at the um, in Kitchener-Waterloo at a curling rink, curling club, and took the gig. And I remember playing the gig. Uh, we were thrilled because it was a dance. So we were playing like two or three hours. We got to play our Beach Boys songs and Beatles songs and a lot of our own songs. And in the middle of uh, one of the songs, I broke a string. And uh, that was a three-hour dance. There was no big deal. And I remember Burton singing the mic, we're going to take a break while Randy changes the string. And so we knew we'd take a break every hour. <laughs> anyway. So the band went down to the crowd. I stayed on stage. I had no roadie, no tuner, no spare guitar. And I, had, I put a, a new string on my guitar. I was kneeling in front of Burton's electric piano, tuning to it, because we used to tune to his piano every night. And as I was tuning, I was on the stage in the dark, on my knees, in front of his piano, trying to not be obvious. And as I was doing that, I just moved my fingers around and started to play certain frets, like the second fret, the, the fifth fret, the seventh fret, all in the key of E. And I started to play it faster and faster and ended up going dun, 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 dun. And I noticed some heads in the audience snapped around. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't forget this riff. It's so simple, and it's, it's, it's not even a riff. It's like the guy tuning up. You know, it's like, dun, 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 over and over and over. And, that, and then I stood up and started playing it. And I, um, in those days, yeah. we would take a break, and we knew we had three sets or four sets. We knew what the next song was in the next set. There was no cell phones or anything then. So some of the band would say, oh, it's time to go on stage. They'd go in and they'd start playing the next song in the next set. And we'd all know that it was going to be Along Comes Mary or I Get Around or something. We'd all then drift on stage and play the song. So I go on stage and I'm playing this riff. I get the drummer on Gary Peterson. Jim Cale comes on <laughs> and we're playing this riff. And so Burton's out in the parking lot meeting a guy I think was buying Gene Vincent records or something from a guy and uh, he didn't recognize the song so he didn't think we were on stage and wow. I think somebody said to him why aren't you on stage with the band and I remember him coming in the back door through the crowd on stage saying what is this and I said just play something and he played a solo he played a harmonica solo he played a flute solo a piano solo and I yelled out sing something and I, the first words he sang was American Woman Stay Away From Me he sang it three or four times we soloed he sang it again uh, we noticed an electricity on the on the stage uh, between us and the crowd, and that this was being made up because yeah. everything we played that night was records. And we, you know, in those days, you need to sound like the Beach Boys when you played a Beach Boys song. You need to sound like the Beatles. And so suddenly there was this our own sound. I mean, we had these eyes, and you know, shaking over a couple other songs. So, but this was a new sound like nobody had ever heard before. Right. And, and then it, it developed. And then Burton kept adding words. I remember him coming to me in the car saying, how about if I add in ghetto scenes and war machines? I go, great. Well, that's kind of heavy, but that's great. You know, let's do that. And so the, the song was kind of built on and evolved. Even when we got to the studio, we really couldn't do it uh, properly. Uh, because it started from a jam session. So I remember Jack Richardson saying, we're not getting the groove. We're not getting the groove. How did you do that? I said, so he got the whole band to leave the studio, dimmed the lights so I would be in dark. I went in the studio in front of Burton's piano, knelt down, tuned my guitar, tried to find the riff, found the riff, stood up, started to play. The tapes were running by then, got the riff going, 
And then the band came in and started to play it. I have the original tape of that, which right. I don't know if anyone's ever heard, and it's fantastic. And then that, that evolved into, because his first was like Sunshine of Your Love. Just, you know, do, 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 just one guitar line going to do, 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 just on one string. And then, it was, then I overdubbed the chords later, right? So it was an evolutionary song. We had no idea when we did it what it would become. We didn't know it would be the album title. We didn't know it would be a single. We had no idea. It was just another song we had. You know, I've heard the story that there was a kid near the stage with a cassette deck and that you guys commandeered that cassette just to help you guys to remember the song. Is that true? Well, it's true from Burton's point of view, not mine, because when there's an accident, the police interviewed 10 people in the corner and everyone saw the accident through different eyes. I've told it to you through my eyes. Maybe Burton did see a guy. I didn't see the guy in the cassette. I don't even know if cassettes were invented then. I don't know. Right. There was a there's a lot of discussion, of course, what the lyrics mean. And Burton has gone on the record to say they kind of don't mean anything. They're stream of consciousness. I'm more or less talking about the difference between um, American women and Canadian women. But obviously, you know, it seems to me that based on all the things that you had seen and the fact that you were, you know, you had your green cards, but you were afraid that if you crossed that border, you were going to be drafted, that that stuff would play into your psyche and Burton's psyche as well. Yes, because everywhere we went, it was the big Statue of Liberty and that poster of Uncle Sam with the, with the Stars and Stripes top hat on pointing saying, Uncle Sam wants you. We toured the states, and literally, we'd go to a town anywhere, Chicago, Iowa, Illinois, Minneapolis, anywhere we went. We were the only guys in these towns between 18 and 35. All the other guys were drafted. They were sent to the jungle to fight the war. So we'd pull into town. We'd be like five Cana- four or five Canadian guys. We had a guy who drove our truck like into a town. We're the only guys that age in town. We're pretty good looking. We're not that ugly. We're not that fat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the women are kind of going crazy. Like There's new guys in town who are like 22 <laughs> years of age and stuff. Also, there was the fear of if the MPs come and get you, the guys in the white helmets, and you're drafted, you're gone. You have no say, nothing. You've got a green card, which means you can live in the States, pay taxes in the States, work in the States, and be drafted and sent to the jungle. We had a fear at the border. We almost got drafted. We turned around and went back to Canada, and that's how we got the gig in the uh, curling rink in Kitchener-Waterloo. I remember phoning the agency and them saying, there's one gig tonight. Wow. And we took that gig, so we get enough money to go back to Winnipeg. So we did turn in our green cards when we got back to Canada. Yeah. Oh, I bet you did. So the guests who were invited to play at the White House in July of 1970, so that's after American Woman comes out, but because, now this is what I'm hearing, I don't know if this is true and you can clarify this, the the story goes is that Pat Nixon, Richard Nixon's wife, kind of realized that the song could be perceived as anti-American and she asked that you not play that song when you played at the White House. Is that true? I believe it's true, but I had left the band in May of 1970, so I did not go to the White House. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. But if I tell you, if I was there, I would have played it. <laughs> Once you start a song, all they can do is unplug your 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 guitar. You make more of a sensation. So and I think I've seen Burton say it in print many times. Yeah. The biggest mistake of his career was not doing it there at the White House. That's where it should have been done. It would have gotten you know press headlines and credibility that he'd lost credibility with all the cool hip anti-war pro- protesters at the time which was basically 95 percent of the youth movement in the states was against the war it was stupid it was yeah. insane yeah so that's interesting how randy bachman sees the song as far more political than burton did that's fascinating when you got have the guy who wrote the lyrics 
disagreeing with the other guy in the band. But listen to this next clip, Christopher, where I asked Burton if the story about the White House is true or not. Okay, so it's a story about, well, you'll hear me asking in the question, but it's a, the story about whether or not the guess who was told not to play American Woman at the White House by Pat Nixon, Richard Nixon's wife, okay? So Burton blames the whole thing as a stunt by their manager. Have a listen. Okay. It's all nonsense. We had a really time that was pretty small-minded. Uh, he thought it would be a great publicity stunt if we told the press that the White House asked us not to play American Woman. That's all BS. We were never asked not to play American Woman. Right. And we should have played it because it was probably one of the reasons we were asked to play at the White House anyway. And uh, it backfired on us. And actually, the, the whole White House appearance itself backfired on us. Rolling Stone took us to task. Rolling Stone crucified us for, for really? playing for the Nixons because the Nixons weren't all that popular uh, yeah. with, with Vietnam and everything else. Uh, we never should have gone there. We never should have been there. And, and the fact is, if we were going to go anyway, we damn sure should have played American Woman. So let me clear that up for good. Yeah. We were never asked not to play American Woman. Okay, just to clarify, the part that Burton says is not true is that Pat Nixon asked them not to perform American Woman. But here's the part of the story that is true. They were invited to play at the White House by the Nixons, and they did attend, and they chose not to play American Woman because a manager thought they should say that they weren't allowed to, thereby creating some controversy, okay? Burton does not, like, hates that part of the story, but that part is true. But the whole thing was a mistake because they admit they never should have played at the White House in the first place because they were skewered by the fans and the rock press for doing so. That is a wild yeah. story. Well, okay, so we got to roll this back a little bit, Tom, because there's a couple of things that sort of bother me about this. Um, first of all, it's completely logical that if Pat Nixon had any awareness of what the song said, that she would have, have asked them not to play it, or that some other lower-level functionary would have gone... Ahem. Right. You're not going to walk into the White House and sing, you know, American Woman, Get Away From Me. That is not going to fly. That makes perfect sense. But <laughs> on a parallel track, the idea that a manager would cook it up and go, hey, I got an idea. Tell them that you weren't, you know, that whole shtick, right? <laughs> Listen, see. Both of the. <laughs> anyway, you know what? I think it's kind of pick your story here, really, because both both are absolutely, totally credible. Now, as to the conclusion that they were skewered, Yes, and you can see why. This was 1970. What was going on in 1970? Well, aside from the Vietnam War raging away, there were secret bombings in Cambodia, which had been exposed to the public. And on May 4th, a recently celebrated anniversary, the 50th anniversary of Kent State, four students were gunned down, and it was all heaped at Nixon's feet. So, yeah, you're going to go in and call yourselves a cool band and play in that White House? I don't think so. Well, that's an excellent point, Christopher, and let's talk about the chronology of this. So May 4th, 1970, the shootings at Kent State, four students dead, the whole nation traumatized by that whole thing. And two months later, in July, I think July 17th, 
there at the White House. So yes, they would have been greatly criticized for being there. And uh, I can I can definitely see it. It's such a fascinating moment in history. And it's interesting that in the previous clip, Randy said, if I would have still been with the band and they had told us not to play, we would have played the song, right? And Burton now admits that they should have played the song um, because that was their hit. That was why, probably why they were invited there, he thinks. So yeah. anyway... I don't know, but they should have done it or they shouldn't have shown up at all. So Anyway, the thing is, I mean, American Woman, to put it in perspective, was not the first big hit by the Guess Who. Yes, it was huge, um, but they'd already had hits with These Eyes, Laughing, and Undone. And then came a very important song for them, No Time. Here's Burton Cummings. Well, you know, These Eyes, Laughing, and Undone, uh, don't get me wrong. I like those records. They're all good records. They're all good songs. And the vocals were pretty good, I must say. <laughs> but when No Time was released, I think we started getting taken a little more seriously as a rock and roll band because No Time is much, much harder than those first three songs. And I always liked No Time because it, it wasn't really a love song. It was uh, the pretty good lyrics that I came up with. Randy had that great guitar riff. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That guitar riff sticks with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those guitar riffs that every local band learned that riff. Every guitar player at every local band learned that riff. I always liked No Time. I still like No Time as a record. And when I do my solo shows with my full band, uh, we end the night with that. No Time Left for You. So yeah. I, no time, I think No Time changed it for us completely. And um, even though Rolling Stone never liked us, I think in general, things like Cream Magazine, you know, um, they started taking us a little more seriously as a rock and roll band because No Time is a rock and roll record. So No Time, I think, leads the way to American Woman in terms of acceptance of you guys as a hard, as a as a rocking band, not a hard rock yeah. band, but as a rock band. Yeah. And the, and of course, the band continued after American Woman, but Randy had departed and. And you guys continued with great success in the Guess Who for a number of years. But was it more, the focus was now more on you, Burton. Was that a struggle? Did you miss having Randy as a songwriter? Like you, as a songwriting partner, you had other songwriting partners and you had great success. But what were those uh, years like? Here's the thing. Um, when Kirk Winter joined the band, immediately, within a, within a matter of two or three weeks, I knew I had another writing partner because Kirk brought some great songs right, right off the bat, songs that I didn't write. Bus Rider was great. Hand Me Down World was a great, great song. song. I, great I still song. like Hand Me Down World. Those lyrics have stood up very, very well. For sure. Mm -hmm. Don't give me no Hand Me Down World. I've got one already. That could have been written last night. Mm -hmm. Anybody here see the sky weeping tears for the ocean? That could have been written last night. So I knew right away that Kurt and I would become co-writers. And Kurt and I ended up writing a lot of great stuff together. So as, as many people thought, oh, well, now that Randy's gone, the, the group is finished. It was far from finished because the, the first album we did without Randy was Share the Land. And that wow. ended up being the biggest Guess Who album of all time. Share the Land is something I wrote by myself, and um, 
it ended up being a bit of an anthem, you know, back in the hippie days. And it's still, that's another one I think has stood up well. Absolutely. That's why I did it uh, not long ago on the Strength Together for the the virus uh, telecast. Yeah, saw that. Amazing. Share the Land would be the perfect song for me to do. That's fantastic. So the group goes on until about uh, 1975, and then you embark on your own uh, solo career. And of course, Stantall is a massive hit, along with so many others. Like, I love Fine State of Affairs. I love My Own Way to Rock, Your Backyard. Um, Here is the most troubling fact I ever found out about one of your songs, and I just found out like five minutes before we started this. Stantall was kept out of the number one spot on the adult contemporary charts. Do you know what song kept it out? I couldn't tell you what is it. It's Muskrat Love by the Captain and Tennille. Oh, my this- goodness. <laughs> oh, so- my goodness. That, that's not even there. They didn't even do the original. I think America did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well. You know what? Here's the thing. It's always a lottery when you release a record. It's always a crapshoot. I remember back in the Guess Who days, I don't even think it was just the guess who. I think a lot of groups tried not to release a record at the same time as the Beatles were releasing one because you were just up against incomprehensible odds and power mm. to go yeah. up against the Beatles. But, I mean, American Woman actually, uh, Let It Be, I think, was number two or three when, when American Woman was number one. But I remember for a couple of years before that, we were always trying to time our releases so that it was that we wouldn't come up against the Beatles record. And you know what, man, I don't think we were the only group that did that. I think everybody thought that you come up against Beatles, you're finished. Oh, that is a wonderful clip. Boy, we talk about so much in that clip. We talk about no time. We talk about uh, the guess who without Randy and then Kurt Winter writing hand me down world. And you can hear Burton's admiration for Kurt Winter who joined the group after Randy left and having written those phenomenal lyrics for hand me down world, a song you don't hear enough, but it's just fantastic. Also, Stan Tall being kept out of the number one spot on the Yaddle Contemporary Charts by Muskrat Love, and the whole thing about <laughs> timing their album releases with the Beatles. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. I want to make a point about that. So, so many bands did not want to put out their albums the same time as the Beatles. But I want to take you back to the mid-90s. So, about 25 years ago, when Hootie and the Blowfish had the biggest one of the biggest selling albums of all time with cracked review so everybody's going into the stores to buy the hootie and the blowfish album back when people did go into the stores to buy them and when garth brooks won the entertainer of the year award at uh, either the grammys or the country music awards he credited hootie and the blowfish for getting people into the record store thereby upping the game for everybody who had an album out at that time. So I find it interesting that people were afraid of the Beatles when maybe they should have put things out the same time as the Beatles Mm. so that they're in the store. The guess who has an album out? Hey, why don't you grab this too? I heard this song on the radio. Let's get this album out as well. You know what? That's a great point, and I think you're right. I think the latter is the the more sensible interpretation. Just one little obscure question. Did Kurt Winter write Hand Me Down World by himself? Um, I don't know. Let's have a look. And I'll tell you why I'm curious, because it sounds like a quintessential Guess Who song. Yes. 
both musically and lyrically. Now, clearly, once you know Burton puts his vocal imprint on it, it anything's going to sound like that. But yes, it definitely was. It was written only by Kurt Winter and uh, performed by the Guess Who. Well, he nailed it. I mean, if he was if he was going to write for Burton as a vocalist, he yes. nailed it. And you know, I I love Burton. I love Burton to this day, and I do believe that Burton still can sing. But Burton does not sing in the rock and roll vein of American Woman and No Time the way he did then. Like that rock, that kind of growly. Here's the guess who, Hand Me Down World. Anybody here see the long distance cheer for the notion? Well, I think we missed it. From 1970, from their album Share the Land. That is a great vocal. And... Burton still can nail those notes, but he does not sing with the same rock voice. And I do miss that a little bit, I have to admit. You're obviously an expert on all of this. What album is No Sugar Tonight on? And was No Sugar Tonight also paired with a second song? Where they did they come out together as one long extended single? That's something that I remember. Well, what happened is American Woman was released as the A-side. No Sugar Tonight was released as the B-side. But on the album, American Woman, No Sugar Tonight is paired with a song called New Mother Nature. And ah, that is a great, great right. medley. I knew I was coming to the right person. <laughs> <laughs> when you, you hear, on classic rock radio, when you hear No Sugar Tonight now, you don't hear it without New Mother Nature. It's such a great transition from one song to the other. It just, it's like... It's like Superwoman and Where Were You When I Needed You by Stevie Wonder. You gotta sure. hear them together. Okay, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> to me. <laughs> By the way, No Time was actually originally recorded for the previous album, which I think was called Canned Wheat, and and it, they didn't like the sound recording of it, and so when they did American Woman, the album, they decided to re-record No Time, and that's the version that is so good and uh, that we know very well from that album, American Woman. All right, so... Here's where things get a little testy between Tom and Burton Cummings. Tom, can you recreate the scene of the accident for us? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. I was I'm, a witness. I'm going to put up the, the, the police tape. <laughs> this That's right. Interview. That's a very good idea. So it's about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And on the episode in which we featured Randy Bachman in an interview from 1993, Randy and Burton are, at that point, no longer on speaking terms. Right. And Randy was asked, what would get you guys back together? And he said, the only thing that would get us back together is if we were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That would be the one thing that would get us back together. So I told Burton that I think that that should happen because I do believe that uh, the guests who are a significant band also, they had songs that spoke to something greater than just there were greater than love songs, although they did have great love songs like These Eyes. But I believe that they deserve to be there. And I also mentioned uh, the Guess Who in comparison to some other artists that had actually been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not to defame them, but just to say, I believe that you guys had more of an impact. And this is how Burton reacted. I hate this conversation because... <laughs> I never think twice about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Chic, Madonna, that ain't rock and roll, man. And I'm not losing any sleep over it. And I hate this conversation. And I wish people online would stop taking up petitions to get us there. And for years and years, 
the American Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was run by Jan Winner. That's right. Of Rolling Stone. Jan Winner always hated the guess who. So you know what? I don't care. When Steve Miller did his rant and rave, and Steve's a friend of mine. Right. When Steve Miller did his rant and rave, I stood up and cheered. You know, yes. I yeah. am not I am not losing any sleep over the the Cleveland Hall of Fame. And let's just leave it at that. Well, 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 Mr. Chokic. <laughs> he, he makes himself eminently clear. But, you know, it's one of those things. I, I understand why bands, that, it's like hits were a curse in some ways in that era. I mean, yes, you wanted hits and you wanted to sell, you know, big numbers of records. But then you became a band that was known only as a top 40 radio band. But I mean, another example, what about the Doobie Brothers? I mean, they went in this year, right? Yeah. I mean, are they a greater band than the Guess Who? Have they achieved more, you know, creatively or critically speaking? I don't really know. I mean, there's probably tons yeah. of acts that we could, you know, list off. But um, yeah, it'd be nice if they did go in. Absolutely. I understand what Burton was saying, but I did say to him afterwards, you know, Burton, I'm speaking as a fan here, and I just think that you guys belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, I'm I'm fine the fact that you don't want to be in it, but as a fan, you guys belong there. So that's how we ended that part of the conversation when rock stars attack. <laughs> All right, then. Now back to Randy Bachman. It was not only 50 years ago that American Woman went to number one. It was also 50 years ago that Randy Bachman left the Guess Who. Here's Tom and Randy discussing that time. American Woman also stood as your last stand with the Guess Who. Why did you decide to step off that train? Well, I was in the hospital for two months. I had gallbladder attacks every night on the road. I was in incredible pain. And besides all the other things that go wrong in a band, and there are, you know, why the Beatles break up and why the Beach Boys break up. Five, four or five guys together. You know, why did Gretzky leave his team? You know, why did Bobby Orr leave his team? Why, you know, why does Shaq O'Neal, you know, retire and all that stuff? Yeah. Things happen in guys' life that people aren't really aware of. And I needed medical attention. I was on the road uh, going to a different hospital every night. They wanted to keep me in for tests, and I couldn't because I was on the road every night. And we had about a five or six-day break where I got on a plane. We were in the Northeast, like Philadelphia, Cleveland area. And I got on a plane, flew back to Winnipeg, had tests and found out I had gallbladder issues. And I was then scheduled for surgery to have my gallbladder taken care of. Right. And I couldn't go back on the band. I said to the doctor, I got to go back. We're playing the Fillmore in 10 days. He said, you can go play the Fillmore and uh, go play your gig and come home. So I went and played the Fillmore, which was my last gig with the guest. I mean, what a way to exit playing the rock and Fillmore. And then uh, that was it. That's... I went back and went into medical care for three months for that whole summer. I also know that there was, you know, like you said, what are the things that break up a band and a songwriting partnership and all that? And I, I do believe that drugs had quite a bit to do with it and the fact that you weren't into it. And what, what did Rolling Stone say about you after you left the Guess Who? They, they did not think that you had a bright future in music after that. No, I'd rather not repeat what they said. If you want to see it, you can look up May... The summer of 1970, when the article that Burton Cummings said some bad things about me and Rolling Stone printed it. Oh, but I see. Well, I don't mean I, I, I don't mean them, what I them all. Yeah, I don't mean what Burton said, but I mean what Rolling Stone said. He said we wouldn't make it being straight. It's impossible to make it in the rock business being straight. I knew some other guys who were straight too: Paul Revere, Frank Zappa, Ted Nugent, guys like that who 
I really admire. And believe me, we can count us on one hand. <laughs> I've never, I've never smoked. I've never done drugs. And my last drink of alcohol was when Burton joined the band, which was in the summer of '65. Wow! Wow! So. Great songwriting teams. They're very, very hard to come by. You've got, you know, Lennon McCartney. Well, you've got all of them. We can, we, can, we can run them all down. And I do consider you and Burton a great songwriting team. So the breakup of the two of you was, must have been very painful for you. But as a fan, it was also painful for all of us fans out there. And it didn't look like, and there were times when you guys, you know, buried the hatchet and got back together again. And I don't want to get into, you know, all the things that went down. But I do want to know, because I was genuinely surprised when I heard that you guys played together last fall at the CNE. And I was so thrilled when I was following Burton on Facebook just a few months ago and he announced that you guys were going to tour. What made you guys finally decide to get back together where you belong together? Well, we had a call to play a charity gig at Casa Loma in uh, spring of last year. I think it was April or May. Uh, to raise money for Canada's Walk of Fame. And he and I are both in it. I'm in it twice. I don't know if he's in it twice or not. Uh, we're both in there. We've got our finger, handprints or whatever it is there, our footprints. And it was a, a solo show for an uh, elite uh, amount of people who we all knew. And it was um, solo, me on guitar, him on piano. And basically, we created his living room. And we basically told, without no, no rehearsal, we just talked like we are. How do we write the song? I brought this in. Remember you brought that? Remember you had this stupid idea? And we put that in that song and it became a hit. And you know how we recycled each other's ideas. And they, it was just a really great night. And it was very charming. We raised the money for the, uh, the Canada's Walk of Fame. And then I was in Toronto about 10 days later and saw Burton was opening the, uh, the CNE, the Grandstand Show. And so I, I called around and said, hey, can I just do a walk-on? They said, yeah, great. So, <laughs> so uh, with, you know, again, with no rehearsal, I just walked out there with a guitar, and we did, I think, uh, I think we did No Time, uh, TCB, and American Woman. The crowd went crazy. It was great. Randy, I saw you a few years ago at Fallsview Casino in Niagara Falls, where you did the stories behind the songs, and you did the songs. And it, honestly, I've seen so many concerts over the years, and i got to tell you, it's one of my top ten favorite shows. We laugh so hard. And we rocked so hard. And I, I thank you for bringing oh, you. both of those things. Like, you're a, tr just a tremendous performer. You're an incredible storyteller. You're a great songwriter and a wonderful, amazing guitarist. And, you know, as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of American Woman, I just want to say what a thrill it is to speak to you. Thank you. And watch for my next project. It's called Backman and Backman. It's me and my son, Tell. We're, we're stuck in the strands together. We're isolated together. So we're writing an album, and it's really, really good. We have a, a YouTube broadcast every Friday at 6 o'clock. So go to Backman and Backman YouTube. There's four or five there up in the air, and we do a live one every Friday. And it's turning into an album with me and him doing acoustic songs. So it's going to be cool. It's, I'm doing something productive while I'm being locked up. That's great. That's great. Well, thanks very much, Randy. All the best, and take care. And again, a real pleasure talking to you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Randy is a very, very likable guy. I love him in these uh, clips. He's so upbeat and uh, just fantastic. Well, you know, this was going to be a big year for Bachman and Cummings. They were planning a big seven-CD retrospective, which has now been put on indefinite hold. And they had a tour in the works. Tom and Burton talk about that. The tour plans obviously are on hold for now. Um, I'm hoping that you guys will get back on the road sometime soon, hopefully this year, but if not this year, then next. What can we expect on that tour? Well, I mean, we would know what people are coming to see and hear. So we certainly would do all the big records. 
and then maybe one or two deep cuts. But we're not we're not going on the road as Backman Cummings to shove a bunch of new material down people's throats. That would be a big <laughs> mistake. Yes. If you really you really think of it, we have two hours of hit records. Yep. And we would be foolish not to present that as a yeah. legacy. You got to think about it. These eyes, no time. American woman, undone, laughing. You ain't seen nothing yet. Taking care of business. Hey, you. Uh, stand tall. My own way to rock. Like it's such a barrage of hit records. It really we would, is. We would, we would be silly not to play what people are coming to hear. So mm -hmm. I mean, even even on Facebook and online, I get people saying, "Oh, I hope we hear a lot of deep cuts." You're not going to hear a lot of deep cuts. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get a hit record. Why not play them for the rest of your life? Why not play those songs? that are ingrained in people's memories. We would be foolish not to do that. When you wrote these songs, when you wrote with Randy in the Guess Who, by yourself in the Guess Who, as a solo artist, did you have any inkling of an idea of the legacy of these songs? That 50 years later, people still want to hear them. People still enjoy the originals. They still want to hear you play them live. Like That must be staggering in hindsight, even though it's followed you for a very long time. But it is, when you think about something that you did 50 years ago, is still held up in such high regard and is loved so deeply by so many people. Well, I, I don't dwell on it every day, but I will say this. It hits me once in a while how lucky I've been. The songs and my voice have never disappeared. And not everyone is that lucky. Oh, yeah. Not everyone is lucky enough to be on the radio for 50 years. Not just one or two songs, but a lot of songs. And I, I always say I'm one of the lucky ones, you know. I've been in bands since I was 13, just about to turn 14. That's close to 60 years, man. I'm one <laughs> of the lucky ones. I've, I've really made a career, a lifetime career of music. That's something I love doing. I mean, I've played all over the world. I've, we played in Australia, New Zealand, Japan. I, I've been to Paris and Rome and Amsterdam and England and every state, including Hawaii and Alaska, every province from Vancouver Island to the Big Rock, Newfoundland. And, you know, that's a, that's a statement that most musicians would kill to be able to make. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you this, my man, I have never taken it lightly for one second. Not ever. I'm the most grateful musician you'll ever meet in your life. That's great. Well, we appreciate the fact that you continue to share your music online. We appreciate everything you've done for, uh, for music and Canadian music over the years. You know, I was talking to Randy about this song yesterday about American Woman and about the, the history, his history and your shared history. And it was a pleasure speaking to him as well. Um, and the two things that make American Woman, if I can double back on, on that, are your absolutely searing vocals which, by the way, you also do in, in no time. Um, and Randy's, like, just this incendiary guitar that he's got going throughout the thing. And it, it just makes it stand out. It makes it kind of cut through the radio or cut through whatever you're listening to. And it's just a piece of art. And as accidental as some of those lyrics were, 
they seem to have a lot of meaning. And in, in, in hindsight, a lot of people say that the meaning comes afterwards. You write the song, and then the meaning is put on it by other people. But it had a lot of meaning, meaning for people, as do so many of your songs. And I really appreciate you talking to us today. Well, thank you. Very, very kind words. I think uh, my hat size has gone up one or two sizes from all these compliments you've given me. <laughs> thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Oh, I just love hearing both gratitude and pride from Burton Cummings. You know, what a thrill it was for me to uh, to chat with both guys on subsequent days. Uh, Burton was really happy. I wish you could see me right now, Christopher. I have a copy of um, Not Fragile by uh, BTO over one shoulder, and I have a copy of My Own Way to Rock by Burton Cummings over the other. And uh, Burton was just <laughs> thrilled to see his own face in the background when I uh, had a chance to talk to him. Um very interesting. He was in, He honestly, despite the fact that uh, we did have that brief disagreement about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Burton was in a great mood and just really thrilled to talk. And he, as you can tell, he was just so gracious. Great to talk to Randy Bachman and Burton Cummings on this, the 50th anniversary of American Woman going to number one for the Guess Who in the United States and Canada. This has been a special edition of Famous Lost Words, marking the 50th anniversary of the Guess Who's American Woman going to number one on the Billboard charts. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Many thanks to Rob Wells for the theme song for Famous Lost Words, and also, as always, our producer, Mr. Adam Karsh. Take care. Famous Lost Words resumes in a few weeks with Season 5. <laughs>